I am Jonathan Yadigar. When I grew up, I wanted to be a chef. I'm Omar Kukaz, and when I was a kid, I wanted to be a late-night talk show host. And now we're winemakers. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. My guests today are Jonathan Yadigar and Omar Kukaz, the co-founders of Jumbo Time Wines. With the help of farmers and vinters, they started the California-based natural wine brand in 2020. Their two current varietals, Orange the New White and First Timers, are now available on their website and at select wine shops and retailers throughout Los Angeles, with more locations on the horizon. Welcome to the pod, guys. Thanks, Ben. It's good to be here, man. Great to have you guys. I got a chance to try First Timers last night. And I'm excited to try uh, Orange the New White shortly. Great juice. Well done, guys. I want to start real quick at the very beginning, your backgrounds and how you guys have intersected where you are now. Yeah, I think I can kick us off there. So my background, generally speaking, was always really into food. Uh, growing up, like my summer jobs were working in kitchens. And after I left college, I got hired by Sweetgreen to start community marketing in Chicago, stay in the Midwest. And that kind of just went down this journey of, I guess I would call it like an internal analyst where I go department to department, trying to do a lot of process implementation and optimization. It was, and it was a great job. I was there for four and a half years. And let's say the last two years of Sweetgreen, I started a little food brand called John Cook's. And that's where I got to cook for friends and family. And it kind of expanded. And with COVID, there was all this demand for private chefs. So you know, there was this cooking element and there was this obsession over natural wine and I was happy at my job, but I knew I always wanted to kind of jump into this entrepreneurial space where I started my own thing and push came to shove. And I, you know, I think you're at a company for long enough. It's time to make that leap. And I decided, you know, how deep do I want to go in this natural wine space? Do I want to continue to just be an obsessive consumer or do I want to go a little deeper into it? And that's when I thought of Omar. Omar and I met what 2013 yeah. at a wedding in rome at the after yeah, party 13 14 or 15 you pick one of the years yeah at the out he was like where can we get a good mortadella sandwich and cooking for me is very personal even though it became like a public thing to make money from and support myself but omar when i first heard john cook started helping me at these dinners and it was funny it's such like a weird barometer of how you can work with someone but he could be in the kitchen with me and I wasn't like, this guy needs to get the hell out of my way. And I was like, oh, you know, I could probably start a business with him because I can tolerate him in the kitchen and I don't feel like he's <laughs> stepping on my toes. He's so wrong. So, yeah, well, we can get into that too. So the idea for Jumbo Time at the time, Jumbo Time was not named. It took us a while to get there. But I thought of Omar as, you know, if I was going to do this with anyone, it would be him. And I think that's a good segue to kind of let him talk about himself. Yeah. Thanks, John. It's been a fun journey so far. I've I have a more quote unquote traditional background in, in technology. I've always been an entrepreneur as well. So I started my first lemonade stand, I think, in uh, 1992, uh, back in Philadelphia, where I'm from, when the Nina Pinta and Santa Maria came. The original ships came to Philadelphia and it generated some foot traffic. And I made my first four dollars selling like Gushers fruit snacks 
and and carrot sticks among other things to, to people who are on the way to go see those boats fast forward quite a few years i've always been a tinkerer in the kitchen it's kind of like an extreme hobbyist i like to go deep down the rabbit holes of different things and, and cooking and more specifically pizza being one of those things so i was actually at a friend's wedding in india and you know these weddings go on for seven eight days at times you got some downtime in between ceremonies and events and I found a Black Friday deal for a uni pizza oven, and I bought one. And I shortly thereafter got it, unpacked it, assembled it, tried to make pizza. And the first thing that came out was like this utter garbage. And I thought to myself, how the hell do I do better at this? And that opened up Pandora's box as it came to kind of fermentation. And then that led me to making better bread, better pizza. Uh, wine is just, frankly, another fermented product that you can drink instead of chew. Although some could probably argue you can make some pretty chewy wines too. And it was that element of tinkering coupled with my kind of entrepreneurial drive. It's it's always been uh, either in the foreground or the back of my mind that kind of made this all the more appealing and, and exciting to work with John on this. And it's analog in, in a way that tech is not. So I kind of like that we're managing, you know, inventories and talking about production and uh, hard costs as opposed to just living the life that I've more recently been living through just a lot of ones and zeros, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I'm hearing about the entrepreneurial spirit and I'm hearing about the love of wine. I'm curious, what was it about natural wine specifically that really got you both excited? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Before wine, I was like a huge beer nerd. And, you know, living in Wisconsin and Chicago for five, six years, there's just this amazing beer culture. And when work moved back to LA, I went to dinner one night and like, you know, wine to me was like, I dipped my finger in it at Shabbat or I was <laughs> slapping the bag at a frat party up until this point. And so this was like, I don't know, six years ago. And I had natural wine for the first time. And I was a little bummed that there wasn't the same beer culture. And like, I had natural wine for the first time. And I just like immediately fell in love with the product. Before knowing, you know, anything around it, it just was like, what is this stuff? It is, and it like, whatever I love for beer, the affinity I had for beer, like it was a thousand X on this, this new product that I was consuming that was just so delicious and so like captivating and like so thought provoking. I was like, this could be wine that, you know, so first and foremost, the product itself, you know, like that is something that I, I just can't get enough of. Like, you know, I drink wine maybe to an unhealthy amount, but date like every day. But then when you start getting deeper into, you know, what we view as natural wine, so like, you know, our company, and you'll hear a lot of people give different definitions of what natural wine is to them. And I think, you know, there's a lot of pros to that. And there's a lot of cons to it, you know, from a consumer perspective, it's kind of hard to know what they're consuming, because they get so many different, you know, definitions of this product. But I think it's also a good thing because it becomes personal to people. So for us, you know, natural wine is organic grapes that are not manipulated, dry farmed when possible, biodynamically farmed is great too, but it's really at the core, it's a farming practice. And when I thought of it like that, it became a lot more compelling. And on top of that, it's like we we talk so much about our inputs with food, and how where there's this whole green wave movement of, you know, knowing where your food comes and being very close to it. And it's like, I think because wine at the end of the day is an alcoholic controlled substance, we kind of like let our standards go because at the end of the day, it's perceived as poison in a lot of regards, but it's like something that we consume, you know, without thought. And why did we let it get to this place where we have such manipulated products that, you know, are everyday things. So, you know, really getting fascinated behind, I, I hope that, and I, and I truly believe that 
we're going to see a whole overhaul in this space of wine at large, where we're going to be consciously making and farming better inputs. Yeah. And Omar, you've been in Berkeley or NorCal, right? Which has a huge natural wine scene. Yeah. Yeah. I was up in the Bay Area. But frankly, I moved down to Los Angeles about around 2015. At the time, I was still very much also a beer nerd and not not as into wine. I like drinking it, but it didn't go much, much deeper than that. So this was very much around how do you look into what goes into what you're putting into your body, right? You look at the rise of whole and organic foods. People care more and they want to know where their food is coming from. And I, we don't think that that should be any different for, for the wine that, that you're drinking either. So part of what we're doing with Jumbo Time and what is exciting about Jumbo Time is telling the story of these grapes, right? And and the terroir that we're working with and the farms and the farmers that we're working with and, and having that be part of the experience when when, when you open a bottle and, and drink it, hopefully with others. Yeah, and I, I think to, to take on Omar's point is like, what kind of frustrates me about the conversation on natural wine is like, and you know, it's, it's not intentional. I think people are just, you know, being fed false information that they want to believe. It's like, Oh, if I drink your wine, I won't be hungover. Oh, like, you know, if I drink, if I drink your wine, like it's better for me. Like, yeah. Like at the end of the day, you're drinking an alcoholic beverage, you drink enough of it. You're going to get a hungover. Like, I think it's better for you net in terms of you're not putting, you know, chemically manipulated products in you, but you know, so it's like, let's also be real with people that they're drinking a controlled substance that is going to get you drunk to be drinking of it. And you know, guess what? Like this stuff's so easy to drink that like I get hungover, like for sure. Cause guess what? It's like you, the only one I can sit down and, polish three bottles and not think twice about it and then like so yeah and that, and that's fine like let's at least be honest with consumers about about these things like we're not trying to create like this magic bullet product that will like you know cure all hangovers and you can consume a million bottles of it and everything's fine yeah. and it's there's no calories and there's no sugar and you know it's not clean wine I, I don't even know what clean wine means to people like our wine should be dirty like i don't want to have a filtered product that's so unnatural to me and then to omar's other point about you know farmers and vintners, it's like, I may be butchering the exact percentage, but I think the stat I, I was once told is like 75% of the wine made in the country is from non-estate fruit, meaning, you know, wineries are buying fruit from someone else. And I think what's so fascinating about that is like we romanticize this end goal of this product coming from a vineyard and it's so gorgeous, but like really what is the backbone of, of this space is farmers and you know, that's laborious, blue collar, hard, backbreaking work. And I think as consumers, we're so disconnected from that. And it's like, well, why don't we tell the story about the people that really like 90% of the input, in my opinion, comes from their fruit and their labor. And like, you know, most of our grapes we use are dry farms, which means we don't irrigate them. And to do that in California right now is so crazy because of the droughts, like, <laughs> you know, and it's like, these people are not maximizing their profits and they're working just as hard, if not harder to farm this land. And like, why is that not the conversation about the bottle and where we're going about this? So, you know, I could geek out about this stuff and what, you know. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get yeah. under the hood of it. What was like the A to Z steps? Because I think people are curious. I think a lot of people pick up a bottle of wine, they enjoy it and they don't stop to consider all the work that went into it. So, I mean... <laughs> It's funny to me because I think 99% of people, that's their process. And you guys were like, no, we love this so much. We're going to figure out a way to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if we were if we were shadowing you throughout the past year or so, as you guys were building this, what are the major scenes of the Jumbo Time movie, as I would say, as we're watching it? Yeah, I think, you know, the opening scene would be me at the farmer's market on a Wednesday morning, freaking out, trying to take a work email, planning for a dinner, and then Omar and I planning a harvest trip. 
And I literally was like, what the hell is going on? And I like stopped cooking, I quit my job. And I was like, all right, we're doing this. Like, that's that. A big player in how Jumbo Time Wine works is some context is we work with an amazing winemaker named Jason Charles, who has his own winery called Dinka Minor. And Jason is kind of our day-to-day managing the actual vinification of our wine. But the process is like this. Omar and I will sit together and talk about what we want to drink and ultimately what we want to make and what inspires us. And then it's this ongoing conversation with Jason around, given the fruit that we have access to, what can we do and is that possible? So like we can have all these amazing ideas, but if the fruit doesn't hit our standards, we're not going to make that wine in that exact way, which is, it shows like our two wines are very different than what we initially decided to do. So, you know, depending on how conditions are going and harvest, we'll go, you know, anytime August through October to go harvest, you know, different grapes are picked at different times. This year, because of the fires, we ended up doing, instead of two picks of Carignan, which is predominantly our red, we did one pick and we made just an obscene amount of rosé with Jason, which wasn't the idea. And that ended up being, you know, if we use 80% Carignan in our red, half of that is the rosé. And we literally just went up to Mendocino County to Hawkeye Ranch, picked a bunch of Carignan. This year was a little peculiar because of COVID. We couldn't actually be a part of pick. So we had to watch it because there's these intimate pick crews and, you know, I don't need to get into that. So, you know, we go out for harvest, we press rosé, but we would just make trips back and forth, checking in on the wine, ultimately gets to the place where it finishes, you know, that secondary fermentation, goes to malolactic fermentation, and we just have juice to blend, you know? So we sit there, orange in the new is the new white is like our tongue in cheek kind of title around, you know, this whole conversation where no one wants to drink orange wine, white wine, and they only want to drink orange wine. And it's like, well, what is orange wine? And ultimately we're going to make a, you know, some sort of wine where the white wine is, you know, beating up the orange wine, if you're seeing the labels to kind of rebuttal. But that wine was inspired by Alsatian varietals that we love. So it was supposed to be Gewurztraminer, Pinot Blanc, and Riesling. We couldn't get the Riesling fruit we wanted. So we got Pinot Gris which was amazing Pinot Gris. We were a little scared to work with Pinot Gris because if you macerate it, meaning you ferment it with its skin on, it can pick a lot of structure up and pick a lot of color up. And there's just a lot of variability with that grape. But we worked with Pinot Gris because it was the right fruit. And we went to blend it. The Gewurztraminer just did not work. It had too much sugar. It wasn't ready to drink. And we were like, okay, well, what are we going to do about this? And we had some amazing Chardonnay that was supposed to go in our red wine and we blended it in and it worked. And now we're like, well, we took, you know, a quarter of the inputs of the red wine away. So now what are we going to do with this red wine? And we had all this rosé sitting around and we blended that in and it worked in the red. And it's like, it's cool because there's this interplay between the two wines, right? That we didn't expect to happen, but we followed our North Star of like what the fruit needs to be. And that led us to, to barrel after they're blended. We like to experiment. Uh, so we did a few different barrelings of these wines and one of them went into, you know, neutral old French oak. Some went into stainless steel. We blended the wines later down the line and, you know, there was all that stuff going on. But we, this is a little different. We didn't have a brand name when we were doing this. So we were going to be jumbo wines and we couldn't clear the trademark. Hmm. So we kept pushing back bottling, which is the next stage in all this. And it's funny because my, our winemaker, Jason, and we talk about this, like, how do we clear that trademark on time? We would have bottled the wines and they just wouldn't have been ready to drink. And that two months of them being in barrel, that extra two months of them being in barrel together really opened up the wines and you tasted a lot more nuance and a lot of the reductiveness in the orange kind of went away and a lot of the acidity on the red went away. So after we cleared the trademark, we felt comfortable enough to bottle the wines when you also subsequently label them and then you freight them down. We like to bottle condition for at least two weeks, which means you just let them sit on their side in their bottles. 
And then, you know, they go to our warehouse and then there's all these other little steps of starting a small business, getting our website up, figuring out distribution, figuring out packaging, uh, not trying to kill each other, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> but now the process is like, you know, we're now that we've done this, it's like, we already know our blends from next year. We already have our fruit contracts. You know, we already have our labels being designed. There's like a lot more we're ahead of in the process. So it's like, before we started selling this year's vintage, we started like dealing with contracts for next year's stuff for grapes. And that becomes the cycle of it's like, you find out what you're going to do, you harvest, you bring it in, you press or you ferment and then press or you press then ferment. And then, you know, you let things sit and chill and go through fermentation. Then you blend, you bottle. And then it's just like, how do you stagger all these things? And the flywheel starts to go. But we're still, I think Omar would agree pretty early on in this like process of building momentum and stacking product on each other. There's a, there's a lot of extra fun also that you get to navigate because we're dealing with uh, a controlled substance and, and alcohol and, and a pretty archaic <laughs> institutional laws that, that kind of restrict a freedom of movement that you think of in a more traditional or non-alcohol based startup business. Uh, so we're, we're licensed as a winery. In, in California and, and being licensed as such. And because wine is such a big industry for the state kind of affords you these, these privileges that you don't typically get as an alcohol producer, um, you know, because of prohibition, we have this three tier system that exists. So if you make alcohol, you can't actually sell it to other people who can sell it and you can't sell it to direct to consumer. But a winery in California is actually allowed to sell direct to consumer. And it's also allowed to self-distribute. So we can self-distribute our product in California and we can sell direct to, to consumers in California. And then... Whoa, nice. Yeah. That's why I can buy it on your website. Exactly. Right. Exactly. If you're in California and soon to be uh, yeah. many other states, we're, we're growing that slowly, but it's, it's uh, people will talk about like dealing with alcohol sales in, in, in the US as each state is a separate country. And it's got its own fees, its own regulations, its own filings that uh, we have to take into account for, for each state so it's it's not like hey put up a website and then all of a sudden you've got customers from all over the world it's it's a little bit more complex than that uh, and a little bit more nuanced got it well kudos to you guys for figuring it all out before we wind down with rapid fire i do want to ask you what is your favorite pairing with your wines in the, in the perfect world if you could sit down with a bottle of jumbo time what are you having with it recency bias here at play because i made pizza yesterday for the first time about nine months but probably homemade pizza for me. Nice. I would say a cold pool on a hot day. If I can go the non-food right. route, if that if that's allowed. That works. That's allowed. Awesome. Um, so we'll wind down with a few rapid fire questions. Firstly, what's your favorite app on your phones? And let's say not one that came with your phone. So not the camera or FaceTime. Oh, can I look at my phone? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Omar, do you have a favorite off the top of your head? Yeah, right now I, 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 uh, I'm the proud new parent and new father to a baby girl who's two weeks and a day old and so it's this new app <laughs> because i get to see how much she's sleeping and uh hopefully try and put her back to sleep if she wakes up while we're sleeping but i guess that's that's top of mind for me right now it's great that's called great snoo product. yeah nice <laughs> it, it, it's a supplement to it to a product yeah to her fancy best net but uh, i'm a tech nerd and it's it's a it's an aspirationally cool uh, device and, and user experience. So highly recommend to any new parents out there. Amazing. What about you, John? It's a love hate relationship. It's the backgammon app I downloaded. I, you know, play it on my phone <laughs> to like, it's like my escape of like, I just like 
go mindless and just like, you know, play the game. But it gets me so frustrated because like, you know, the game is rigged in a lot of ways. Like for some reason, like, you know, they, they always get the perfect role. And it's just like, there's no way this is like by chance, like the game, like tries to instigate you. So like, I'll call Omar. I'm like, it's rigged. He's like, I think it's not, I don't know. Maybe it's me, but like, <laughs> it's like, it's supposed to be my stress relief when I have five minutes between calls or, or whatever. And it's sometimes it's the opposite. <laughs> nice nice and uh who would you like to play you in a movie about your life i guess if the jumbo time story was made into a film oh, what are the actors we'd like to see that's uh, i'm gonna botch his name uh ralph is either fines or finis i recently watched the grand budapest hotel and he's so good at being like whimsical but also serious and it's like in our space like it's a small business you have to be serious right like you know, we're still funding this thing. So like, we got to take things seriously, but like, you have to have fun with it. Like I, like yeah. I didn't, I didn't do this just as like a money making operation. Cause it's not like, if I wanted to do that, I would have picked a business with way better margins, but like we genuinely love what we do and it's fun. And like, like we want people to feel that. So, you know, both sides of that. I dig it. I think, it, I think it's Viennes. I could be wrong, but I think it's Ralph Viennes. I'll take your word uh, for it. I dig it. We're gonna we're, we're gonna hear about this. Maybe maybe he hears this and he comes on the pod to let me know how to pronounce his last name. <laughs> what about you, Omar? Uh, probably Javier Bardem. I don't know why. I just I just love the screen presence. Oh, nice. That's People say it sound like Seth Rogen. I was gonna say Seth Rogen just because I think he's a funny guy. But uh, yeah, we'll go with with Javier. And it's funny, people always give me like the Jonah Hill comparison. I'm like, are you just typecasting me and nice. Omar as like these like schlubby, like funny, like guys with laughs and like, you know, whatever. I'll take it. Yeah. Those are a couple iconic dudes. So in good company, in good company. <laughs> and uh, where's a place you guys haven't been to yet that you hope to visit? I'll let Omar take that first. Safari, probably Kenya, Tanzania, Kruger in South Africa. Uh, yet to do that really want to do it nice. i think like you know there's this like trip i i've been trying to do where i i've been i've been to france but like or i go to jura and then you know maybe alsace and then down to burgundy and beaujolais and it's like i drink these wines so religiously and i'm so obsessed about these wines from those those four regions but or sub regions but i've never actually been there and it's like a very weird thing of like being so knowledgeable about it like a place and a space and like products from there but never like smell the air or touch the ground yeah that's how i feel about <laughs> madison square garden i've been to new york but i, I actually want to like go to the mecca and see a game played there it's amazing um <laughs> maybe on the next trip out there i dig it and lastly what's a song you guys like to jam to right now we have a spotify playlist where we add our guest song recommendations so if you could each contribute one song to our playlist what would that be i'm between like vivaldi's four seasons and rage against the machine <laughs> evil empire anything from evil empire. <laughs> <laughs> um right so we we had a launch party and i made this like whole disco playlist because i was like everyone likes disco and like you know so I'm, like that's what i've been listening to a lot right now i would probably say the song give me love by sarone it's c-e-r-r-o-n-e -E. it's just such a good song and like i can listen to it at any time awesome we're adding these to the playlist thank you guys and where can people check out your work keep up with you on social media, plug all the things there is to plug. At Jumbo Time Wines. www.jumbotimewines.com. Yeah, let's see. Jumbo Time Wine. We're not on Twitter yet. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. We're working on that. And then <laughs> we always appreciate people buying from our site because it comes directly from us. But we also 
are at amazing retailers that, you know, being able to self-distribute allows us to have connections to the retailers we go to. So they're people we have personal connections and we love. So if you ever are, like in the neighborhoods, Domain LA, Psychic Wines, Helen's, uh, go to Lolo for dinner and have some more wine or Marvin, Grand Blanco, Omar, am I missing anything? Voodoo Vin is coming. San Vicente Bungalows, if you're a resident. I don't know if there's any more. I'll, we'll shoot them to Ben so you can find them. Nothing eggs, yeah. Wine and eggs. Soon. Yeah. That's a solid line. Those are some great spots for those in LA. Definitely check that out. Also, did you guys say Helen's? Also at Helen's, right? Helen's, yeah. Just at Fairfax. I don't think they put any of our product in Brentwood. But go to these places or go to other places you like and then ask if they have Jumbo Time Wines. So when we go... <laughs> People are like, you know, we keep getting asked about you guys. I love having people in the food and drinks world on because that is a consistent thing. Like I had your friend Michael Rodney on from Vesa, Mivino, and he was like, yes, please go and ask for these. (laughs) Well, Mikey, it's it's amazing that my best friend's also in this space. It's a little different because he does canned wine, but like he conditioned me like, Joe, dude, anywhere you go, just ask if they have Vesa. So I, I definitely <laughs> stole that one from Mikey. Amazing. Well, it works. It works. See, you guys are both doing great work. Thank you. Thank you so much. And if you're curious about the podcast, you can check us out on Instagram at HDYDpod. Looking forward to having more of your great wines. Congrats. Thank you, Ben. We appreciate you uh, giving us the time of day. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ben. I hope you found value in today's conversation. If you still haven't left your review for How Do You Do Podcast, I'm going to walk you through the process right now, and it only takes 10 seconds. First, look at your phone screen and click where it says, how do you do podcast, which is in purple. And if you're not seeing this, then you're probably listening to this on a different app. So I want you to click on where it says, listen on Apple podcasts, and then you'll see the purple link. Click that. Then you'll just scroll past all the previous episodes to where it says ratings and reviews. And all you need to do is tap the star on the far right and you've left a five star rating. I thank you in advance for taking the 10 seconds to do that. And I really, truly appreciate you listening to this episode. Thanks for sharing it with your friends and followers. And I'll see you back here next week.